0: Hello and welcome to 444 Fantasy Football's Most Accurate Podcast. I'm your host, John Paulson, and this is the fourth installment of the bonus 2017 Draft Strategy episodes. And today I'm joined by uh, one of my favorite analysts in the industry, uh, one of my best friends in the industry. His name is Andy Barrons. He works for Yahoo.com. He's also the president of the Fantasy Sports Writers Association, so it's in his rider that the hell you know, to the chief is played whenever he appears. So I'm going to have to get, uh, get that tune and put it in. And, uh, on top of that, he was also the most accurate expert, uh, based on uh, Fantasy fancy pros study back in 2009. That was I forever actually, ago. That was forever ago, man. Um, yeah. I actually dethroned you and that was, could have been a source of contention between the two of us, but you, you reached out the olive, olive branch. You're also a bears fan, which could be a point of contention, but we still, <laughs> we still get along what's what's up with that
1: the the bears packers thing at this point is so embarrassingly one-sided that um surely you guys don't even consider us rivals right like we're rivals in the way that i don't know uh some uh, some small school on the like i don't know if you're the university of wisconsin is one of the lesser state schools in wisconsin your rival i guess they are what are the bears yeah. to the packers
0: yeah, I, there was a certain point where they went from rival to you just kind of feel sorry for them, and I think we're definitely in the middle of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, stretch. we're
1: like we're like UW-Sheboygan, if there even is one. I don't know. We're, <laughs> who are we? We're no one.
0: Uh, well, we'll talk about a few bears. Uh, I, I know you want to. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't
1: mean to lead off the podcast by disrespecting Sheboygan. Uh, <laughs>
0: it's a wonderful town. Have you ever been? I have been to Sheboygan. Yeah, I can't say that I have. I don't remember if I I probably, probably went as a kid, but. But I, I've seen many
1: a- of the dark corners of Wisconsin. Done time <laughs> in Janesville. Done time in Sheboygan. A lot of time in Green Bay. I've seen it all.
0: Oh man, you're you are an experienced man. <laughs> so thank you for coming on. I wanted to to bring on uh, some of my favorite analysts uh, in this draft series to talk about 2017 drafts. What are you seeing? Um, what what sort of uh, strategies are you utilizing? Are you seeing drop offs at certain positions? So, uh, if there's a few like uh, major lessons or macro lessons that you'd like to you know my listeners or our listeners to to to, to learn today, what uh, what should they be aware of?
1: Well, I you know I guess for starters the the drafts that I've been in are almost not applicable to the drafts that I'm going to be in like late August, September. Like if you're if you're prepping for a hometown draft or something like that. I mean, you, you and I are kind of talking off pot a little bit. The the people that are engaged in this stuff now are You know, it's a a fraction of the fantasy audience. It's like a small, super dedicated fraction of the fantasy audience. And I'm hesitant to say that that things that you think you're seeing as trends right now are going to translate into everybody's, you know, hometown league with their college buddies or their work friends or anything like that. Um, I will generally say that there are... There are a few teams that I think are going to pretty dramatically shift what they do. Maybe it's the run-pass mix. Maybe it's their reliance on specific players. There are are teams that have obviously had coaching changes, that have probably had philosophical changes, and it's not always reflected in the way that we're drafting. So I I guess a couple of the teams that jump to mind for me are Jacksonville. Um, I I still see people treating Jacksonville as if they're – like the coaches are saying, we, we literally want to run the ball every snap. Um, they're, they're, I don't want to say that Blake Bortles is, I, I will say that they want to hide Blake Bortles, that Bortles has been, I mean, shoot, a couple of years ago when he was good for fantasy, he was horrid in reality, right? It was, he led yeah. the league in sacks, in interceptions and in fumbles in every bad thing you can do. Um, and, and they clearly don't want to don't want to bank on him this year. And I I feel like we're not treating Leonard Fournette as what he is, which is the foundational player of that offense in all likelihood, the centerpiece of that offense, and a you know kid who was just absolutely great at the collegiate level. I, I would I would throw Buffalo into that as well. Like I, I just I don't feel like whether it's any element of Buffalo's passing game from Tyrod Taylor to Sammy Watkins, a Jones. Um, I feel like we're treating them as if it's still the the sort of Rex Ryan show, and all they're ever going to do is run the football, and they're going to produce you know an RB one and an RB two, and it's just going to be you know that same ridiculous number of carries every game. I don't I I don't know that it's going to be like that.
0: Uh, On Fournette, uh, one reason I'm sort of sold on him is is how the running backs that have been drafted in the top ten have been used. in recent years and there's there's eight that have t- at least 200 carries and i mentioned the stat on uh, bob harris pod as well but uh the, the eight that were drafted since uh, the year 2000 in the top 10 308 touches 1484 yards <laughs> uh 14.8 4.82 yards per carry 9.8 touchdowns that does include ezekiel elliott but if you remove him it's 1411 yards uh 4.7 yards per carry and nine touchdowns so um that's pretty
1: fair that's like that's good yeah
0: i think the <laughs> i think the expectation when you draft a running back that early especially in today's nfl is that you're going to use them and with tom coughlin there um i i, I was really happy to get Fournette in the third round and it's it's an interesting uh in a recent draft and it's inter- interesting to to hear pushback on that on twitter because everybody's worried about the the offense not being good but uh Well,
1: I so I think there's you know the reasonable worry would be hey the quarterback is still bad Um, they're going to be one dimensional in the other way and um, how many points are they really going to score per game like I would I I understand those concerns um, but to to treat it as if I mean they're just screaming to you that all they want to do is run the football. so for like for me, I barely have Allen Robinson as a you know. Not only is he coming off a poor season, which was part on him and obviously part on Bortles, um, I barely have him as a top thirty receiver. I don't I don't have a lot of faith in him. I completely believe them when they say. And they obviously have an improving defense too. So it's not as if I expect Jacksonville to be giving up thirty points a game. Um, 400 yards a game, you know, r- really good corners on that team. I, you know, I can definitely see this and Fournette's got to stay healthy. If you want to steer clear of Fournette because you worry about injuries with a, you know, a back who is going to absorb a lot of hits, um, has a very physical st- style and you just are avoiding all running backs in the first round. Okay. I get that. Um, but I view him as a, as an end of first round, start of second round kind of player. And if you can get him in the third, that just seems, um, criminal to me. I mean, he's going to be much better than that.
0: And then the argument that is against him, there is the same argument you could use against Jordan Howard. You just don't have the, um, year of, uh, you know, experience or the, the proof that he's pretty good. Like the, the, the bears offense is not going to be a juggernaut either, <laughs> you can make it, it, I mean, you can make the same argument with Isaiah Crowell as well. And he's kind of, you know, he's going, he's starting to creep into the top 12 drafted, uh, running backs as well. So I don't see how it applies to Fournette and not Howard or. Or Crowell, so
1: yeah, there's a. I mean, there's just a general every year skepticism about rookies, which in Fournette's case is a little bit insane to me because he. I mean, n- nobody missed his work in college, right? Like right. we all we all saw it a couple of years ago. We all saw what he is when he's healthy. Um, he com- you know he competed against the highest possible level of collegiate competition. So you've got. You know, you've got you've got plenty of games against the the best possible talent. Um, I, I just see him as, as very close to a no doubter, and the only thing that can get in his way is injuries.
0: All right. So, do you find yourself uh, employing a certain draft strategy each and every year, or is it flexible based on what's going on that year and where you can get players, or how do you how do you approach your draft each year? Yeah,
1: I'm I'm not somebody who ever. I mean, we, you know, we can we can toss out some of the very basics about you know, what you do with kickers and defenses, but I'm not, I'm not somebody who ever, um, limits myself in any given round. I don't, I don't set weird rules where I can't draft this position or that position within the, you know, the first number of rounds. That's just not a thing I would ever do. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just pounding. Uh, and some of this, it relates to league size too, right? Like, so I'm, I'm, as, as we talk, I'm thinking about, We just finished a couple weeks ago. A whole group of us flew out to Vegas for um, Mark Stopa's annual auction. It's a really fun league. The league got deeper this year. It's been – so the format is a little quirky, um, not something that everybody plays. It's a – you start two tight ends – You start a couple of flexes, one of which can be a quarterback. You'd start one regular quarterback. There's three receivers. There's like just very deep starting lineups. And this year we moved up to 14 um, teams in this thing. And so 14 teams, each starting two quarterbacks and two tight ends. It's right. It's hard. It's deep. You're, you're, um, you're starting each week, almost every starter at a couple of different positions throughout the NFL. So that's tricky. And in that league, I did what I would never do in like a ten-team league, which is to which is to be really balanced and cautious with my money. And I I wanted to pay attention to. I I didn't want to have a lot of weak spots coming out of the coming out of the auction. Right, I wanted Mm -hmm. to end up with a couple of fun upsidey players. But more than anything, I wanted to make sure that I. You know, I wasn't actually starting anybody who didn't have a clean path to a ton of, you know, just a ton of yards and, and a meaningful role in year one. If I'm in a, if I'm in a ten-person league, I mean, I, I'm I'm taking I'm taking chances everywhere. Um, I'm not paying much attention to players' ADPs, right? Because I know that replacement value in that league. I know that the the best available free agents in that league, it's going to be ridiculous all season. We're going to be able to add all kinds of talent um, from the free agent pool. And that's not necessarily true in a much deeper format. So you have to be very adaptable to the number of teams that are in the league. But I don't, I'm not somebody who would ever set a rule. Like, you you know, we can, you, you can, you can feel however you want to feel about the zero RB approach. Right. But I would never say to myself, okay, first four rounds, five rounds, I am 100% not drafting Position, You know, that's why I, I always, I always hate to say that I, I hate to get into conversations about like guys who I will not draft because there's almost no one that I won't draft, right? Like at the, at the right place, at the right price. I, I just greatly prefer to remain flexible. Um, some, sometimes you get in, um, experts drafts and nobody wants to be the first person to take a quarterback, right? Cause that's mm-hmm. such a, that's such a rube move, right? Oh, God, I can't believe you took Aaron Rodgers. Um, like, like, and sometimes you, sometimes you reach round five and like, I don't know, Drew Brees is sitting there in round five and he, you can basically book 5,000 passing yards and 30 touchdowns. Like, I, you know, I'm, 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 the, I'm generally the guy who's willing to do that too.
0: Yeah, there was a, uh, an expert sleep, a charity lead that I'm in and I took, uh, Tom Brady in the fourth round, uh, Sean corner took, uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers two picks before that. And I said, okay, well, um, I, I usually take Michael Crabtree here and I'm getting kind of sick of it. So I'm going to go <laughs> ahead and, and draft Brady. Cause I want, I think he might have a 45 touchdown type year with all the talent, um, that's there. Um, so I'm, I'm with you on that. I don't usually draft a quarterback in the first five or six rounds. I think there's a ton of talent available late, but every once in a while, if there's a drop off, uh, if I'm not feeling the, the guys that are available, um, and I feel like I get them around later, um, then sometimes I'll put the, you know, draft one of those top two quarterbacks or even Breeze in the fifth. I, I think it's a, a pretty good, pretty good value. Um, but, uh, speaking of late round quarterback, just, to um, is there it, cause I know a lot of people employ that. And I was interested to hear if you had any particular players you liked uh, in the double-digit rounds at the quarterback position.
1: Yeah, so I feel like um, I'm I'm going to give you a couple names that uh, are not mysterious at all to to people who write fantasy, right, to fantasy analysts. But I think in sort of your standard hometown draft, um, I, I don't think there's going to be a great deal of enthusiasm for Andy Dalton. But I just – I feel like he was such a clear winner from the offseason, right? Everything that Cincinnati has added, um, the the trajectory of that offense generally just seems so good. Um, you know, Ross is a little bit ding now, but he's a wonderful complementary receiver. We think Eifert's going to be okay. Um, they get – Joe Mixon, a huge talent who is uh, uh, going to be a phenomenal receiver out of the backfield. So those are, just, those are just free yards for Andy Dalton. And plus Dalton has already been good, right? Like he's been a 30 touchdown guy. Um, we don't need a whole lot of projection here. If all he does is what he was, you know, I mean he's only a couple years removed from being in the offensive player of the year discussion, you know, just a, a mm-hmm. couple of seasons ago. So, Um, Dalton's a guy that I, that I get late fairly often. Um, Player who mentioned earlier, Tyrod Taylor, somebody I get late fairly often. Um, Again, that's an offense that's going to change. They're not going to be in all likelihood this year, Buffalo is not going to run the ball more than they throw it like that. They've had this weird sort of uh, 1977, 1978 game (laughs) script for a couple years. And there's just, there's no reason to expect that to continue. Um, that's going to mean big things for Tyrod. He's been really good, and now he gets to do it at um, greater volume. So he's he's one of my later round guys, too.
0: I like both of those players. Uh, Dalton, they're actually two of my main targets uh, if I'm going late uh, on quarterback, late round quarterback strategy. Uh, Dalton uh, was the number 12 quarterback last year. People forget that, uh, even with A.J. Green uh, missing time. Uh, he was number four back in uh, 2013 he's had some really high p- point per game average uh seasons um with with green healthy uh over the last two seasons he's averaged 261 yards 8.1 yards per attempt, 1.57 touchdowns 0.57 interceptions and what he adds uh, where he gets a little extra boost is that uh, ability to run it in uh 0.26 rushing touchdowns per game during that uh, span Man, Those are eight, I mean 8.1 ypa is Good. That's yeah. Like, that's, that's legit. That's really good. If and I can throw
1: out like one other name that um, yeah. just, this this is somebody that I've I, I would certainly not recommend in. Ten teamers, twelve teamers. You're only starting one quarterback. You don't. Need, you don't even need to have a backup on your roster. But a, a guy that I have ended up with in a couple of deep leagues is, um, and he's free, is Paxton Lynch. Um, I think generally Simeon is drafted as the presumptive starter for the Broncos. I think I. You know, we we. It's not worth having a debate about Trevor Simeon, but um, he he was just a a terrible college player. <laughs> I'm like not a. For me, not a particularly eye-opening player last year either. And if Paxton Lynch, a former first rounder, can't beat him out, that is a, I mean, that is such an indictment of Lynch. And then if Lynch does win the job, we're we're talking about a mobile quarterback who has Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders at his disposal, and a running game, and a just a great, great setup. Um, so Lynch has been a guy that you know I'm constantly getting for a buck in auctions.
0: You went, you went from uh, you know Dalton and Tyra Taylor to uh, to Paxton Lynch. So that was a pretty good. <laughs> you, you set me up, and then you hit me across the face with Paxton Lynch. That was that was good. I like that, Andy. You keep me on my toes. Uh, so moving on. Um, since we're talking late round quarterback, how about some late round tight? Ends? I like that. You're like, I'm gonna
1: I'm gonna go ahead and let you own Paxton Lynch. on Yeah, that. I'm, not, I'm not gonna comment. <laughs>
0: Like, I, I like the – it's not worth to debate, uh, Trevor Simeon. I like that line as well. Um, so let's talk – before we get into sleeper, running backs and wide receivers, let's just talk about tight end position. Um, I've been uh, taking uh, Travis Kelsey a, a bit in the third round. I just think that his upside with Jeremy Macklin gone and, and the uh, amount of targets that he'll see, he, he could see 90 to 100 catches this year. Uh, I know uh, the industry – some people in the industry are a little bit down on him because he's not that involved in, uh, in terms of the red zone. And I get that, uh, Alex Smith is not a, uh, prolific past, uh, touchdown, uh, passer, but, um, I just think his involvement, uh, Kelsey's, uh, involvement this year puts him in, in the conversation, in the third round, when there's a little bit of a drop off for me, uh, four nets off the board Demarius Thomas is off the board. I, I might turn to the tight end position, um, uh, kind of like uh, taking a quarterback when there's a drop off. So, Uh, How do you feel about Kelsey? And then, and then if you're not into that, uh, who are the guys you're, you're targeting in the later rounds?
1: Yeah. Kelsey's a, Kelsey's a weird player for me because I, um, like the rest of the industry, I rank him really high at the position, right? He's, he's my number two tight end. Um, I'm just, I'm clearly down on him relative to other drafters in the overall ranks cuz I'm I'm never getting Gronk and I'm never getting Kelsey and there's no I'm not I haven't made a determination that I'm going to avoid the top like four or five tight ends that that, that was never a decision um I, I I think I just have him a little bit farther down the ra- I, I guess I feel like Kelsey last year was a little I mean, that was for me. That's pretty close to the ceiling for Travis Kelsey, as long as Alex Smith is the quarterback. Um, and then, obviously, all bets would be off if they if, if they have a a more aggressive. Which obviously, Pat Mahomes, uh, waiting in the wings. Whenever he takes over, he's going to be really hard to rein in, right? Like a fun, improvisational player um, does a lot of you know, almost recklessly aggressive, huge arm, all that. Um, Alex Smith is just never looking downfield. He was a guy who averaged like three deep passes per game last year, very few air yards. Um, it just, you know, the entire, the entire offense shrinks a little bit with Alex Smith at quarterback, 15 touchdown passes last year, which is mm-hmm. just ridiculous in this era. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, a guy, a guy who, um, one of the craziest things that uh, I just wrote up the chiefs in in our fantasy previews and, like, Alex Smith doesn't have a season in his career with multiple 300 yard games. Um, <laughs> how, 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 like, in this era when it's nothing to throw for 4,000 yards, um, he taps out at 3,500 yards and doesn't have multiple 300 yard games in him. it's That's incredible to me. So, I, you know, I, I think what Kelsey just gave us, um, you know, a reception total in the eighties, I guess I'd come along with you to 90. I can, I can certainly see if a handful of more targets Macklin is gone. As you say, I think a lot of those targets go to, go to Tyreek. Some go to Conley. Um, Surely plenty can go to Kelsey. He can maybe finish the season with 130 targets, but you know, it's going to be hard for him to beat 1100 yards. And then if we're talking about a quarterback, who's only going to throw 16 touchdown passes, something like that, I, You know, there are going to be there are going to be a bunch of tight ends that finish with more touchdowns than Travis Kelsey, Um, and so that ends up being what I kind of chase at this position. The I have I have Jack Doyle like number eight in my tight end ranks, and I think he has a very clean path to eight touchdowns, nine touchdowns, something like that. the, much of the industry is pretending that Kyle Rudolph's season didn't happen, right? Like right. most targets of any tight end, most red zone targets of any tight end, most inside the 10 targets of any tight end. Um, and he's tied to a quarterback who is also never looking downfield. Um, so I, I, I feel like Rudolph is a is a fairly safe bet. I feel like just in terms of touchdown upside, Hunter Henry remains a fairly safe bet. So those are those are probably the three guys that I end up with more often than any other. And it's not... Again, I've made no decision that I'm not going to go after Travis Kelsey. I think I just, I think I just view him as a player who, who perhaps doesn't belong in that crew with, you know, you said some of the names, like it's Demarius Thomas, the guys that go around him. I'm always taking Isaiah Crowell ahead of, uh, ahead of Travis Kelsey. It's just,
0: it's just not the spot that I'm ready to take him. The tight end position is interesting. Uh, if I don't get Kelsey, um, which I'm not targeting him there, but I might end up with him there and I'm going into those, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth round looking for a tight end. There's been a couple of times where I'm sitting there with maybe the, I don't know, the third pick in the eighth round. And I'm like, well, there's, there's six, there's six or seven tight ends on the board. And okay, I can wait. You know, I'd be happy with Jack Doyle with my next pick. Right. And all of a sudden, boom, 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 they <laughs> like, go. Oh. Yeah. And then I'm, then I'm staring down Kobe Fleener. <laughs> <and I'm> like, <laughs> I'm like, this is not how this is supposed to play out. So, in the most recent draft, I just took uh, a Tyler Eifert in the seventh round, uh, um, or maybe it was the eighth, eighth round, and uh, just to start the run instead of being on the tail end of it. Do you have any th- theories on that uh, drafting towards the end of the fir- uh, you know the beginning of the round and having maybe 20 picks between your two picks? And yeah, maybe that's one of the.
1: You know, so every year I do these draft slot videos for Yahoo and my head pops up and you're, you know, when you've got the draft and you're ready to go, there's a couple minutes before you start and all of a sudden freaking Andy Barron's face pops up and he tells you things and you're like, you X out of that as quickly as you can, right? <laughs> but let, I try to do a little bit bit of research on the, on the draft spots from last year and the success rate that people had out of different draft slots and far and away in Yahoo leagues, like... And I'm I willingly admit that this may have had something to do with like where David Johnson was selected in the first round and where Le'Veon Bell was selected in the second round and stuff like that. So I'm not by yeah. by no means am I trying to say that there is a best position from which to draft year after year. But last year the sweet spot was clearly picks four through seven, um, with pick six producing the most league winners. Um and not not by a small margin either. Um, it was much better than the the top pick, and it was way better than the last pick in ten and twelve team drafts. Again, might have something to do with specific players. I, I would concede that point, but generally speaking, I prefer to be in the middle where I don't have a long wait and I'm not. I'm I'm not even a little bit exposed to position runs, right? If there if there is one that's going down, and I feel good about somebody at that spot, I can I can always get them. Um, but I I think you sort of hit it. If you're at one of the turns and it's a pain it's just one more thing to think about that you wouldn't have to if you were drafting fifth or sixth um but i'd i'd greatly prefer to start the position run than than to than to watch it you know watch it unfold and and me not have any you know that's another argument for doing auctions too right like it's just that's that's so painful um to have to wait out like 22 picks while all of the tight ends are going off the board um but as you say i would i would Always rather trigger it than um, find myself chasing it because this, you know, this uh, you and I both participate in the in the Scott Fishbowl, right? And this totally happened to me at tight end. I really got, I really got burned because um, there's a the, we play point per first down in that league starting this year and. Um, yeah, there's a bonus for tight end first downs too. Like tight ends get, you know, they're like super special players. Um, and I just kept, I'd have, I'd have a whole bunch of tight ends queued up and they would just all go away. And I, I was picking first in that league, which I'm not going to complain about that. I got David Johnson, but my, um, my queue was, um, emptied, uh, tight ends constantly. So I'm, you know, I, I felt fortunate, you know, I just missed out on Doyle in that league. It's the only league where I'm not getting him, um, I, I think I, I think I got Hunter Henry at some point, and then it was a huge wait until like uh, Safarian Jenkins, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, yeah. the rest of my tight ends are are just boy, um, it's less than ideal. It's not what I not what I'd intended.
0: Yeah, I reached uh, for uh, Jordan Reed there in the late second. I figured I'm trying to beat 719 other owners, and yeah, um, well, I'm willing to gamble on Reed having a, a healthy season, and then he ends up on. Pup to start, to start camp, which is sort of the story, story of my life. Um, <laughs> I didn't back, I, I think I backed him up with like Vernon Davis, but then every other pick, like I was like, well, there's a tight end I kind of like. And there's this receiver or this running back that I really like. And, um, I, I didn't draft a, another tight end for quite a while, but it's an interesting uh, format. We'll talk a little bit more about, uh, the point per first down a little bit later. Um, so let's, let's dive into a few, uh, sleeper running back, wide receiver. I'll let you, uh, sort of decide who you want to talk about. Um, are, there, are there players that just are screaming values to you right now? I realize that the the Yahoo ADP is a little bit different than maybe the MFL 10 ADP. So, you know, owners, uh, you know, in friends and family leagues might pay more attention to the Yahoo uh, ESPN uh, ADP than they would MFL 10, which I think is a little more sharp. And this is where the ADP is headed as some of these casual players start to read up on, on some of these sleepers. But who do you like, uh, middle, of late rounds? Who's, who's going later than they should be? Um, so a couple things here
1: and I'll, I'll, I guess I'll get to the sleepers in a second. Um, I feel like the thing with Yahoo ADPs, um, they, they follow, you know, we have so many auto drafters, right? That's the thing. Um, we have so many people who are like in a, you know, you're in a family league, um, and there's 12 teams that sign up and there's eight teams that sign up and half of them don't show. And those teams all auto draft. Some people sign up for leagues where they just set it to auto draft, right? Like that, that's our ADPs are so affected by auto draft logic. Like the actual sequence of players is based off of our consensus ranks. Um, And I like I feel like the actual order of players isn't terrible through the first like three hundred or so names, but our our auto draft logic does this thing where it fills out your entire starting lineup before Mm -hmm. it builds your bench. So defenses and kickers are commonly drafted like in the eighth and ninth round by the by the auto pick logic and it just it throws everything off because you'll get this you'll get this break at a position where like the number I don't know this is I'm just making this up but like the number 25 guy will have an ADP of like 65 and then the number 26 guy will have an ADP of like 94 or something like that. Right. <laughs> right. Like there's just this crazy break and it it reflects our auto draft logic. So it, it is always dicey to use Yahoo ADPs. I just I went people to feel okay about the the actual sequencing of players it's just the the uh the, our, our zillion auto drafters are the ones that that really screw it up um so if we're talking about uh you know if we're talking about running back sleepers i and you and i this is another thing that you and i were talking about off pod like that is a really dangerous word for the fantasy crowd right because you i mean i, I could i i I in again with people who are just in my hometown league. I have a I have a draft that's coming up in a month with like high school buddies. They like most of that league does not know who Mike Gillisley is. Um right. Anybody who's listening to a fantasy podcast in July has known who Mike Gillisley is his whole life, right? Like there's just <laughs> a huge disconnect there. Um like, so one man's sleeper is a, another man's, you know, fifth round pick or something like that. And that's just the way it is. So you, you have your, your super low hanging sleeper fruit, right? And it's for me, I'm, I get Isaiah Crowell all the time, but he's like the number 12 or 13 back at, uh, at MFL. I think I get a lot of Gillisley, or at least I try to, but you go ahead and try to outbid a fantasy expert for Mike Gillisley right now that never happens. Um, the, the guys that I feel like I'm getting legitimately late and are deep sleepers in most formats, um, I get a lot of Kareem Hunt. Um, it's not going to surprise me a bit if Spencer Ware ends up sharing that job, if not early in the season, then perhaps by mid-season. They're very similar. They're similar in terms of build um neither one of them is really like a a burner of a running back. We obviously saw Ware come back last season from the concussion, and he was not at all the player that he was before the concussion um Maybe it was that one injury, maybe it was just wear and tear it regardless it's gonna help him to have a partner in the backfield, and I think that probably becomes Kareem Hunt. They trade it up for him um which is always a signal that the organization is you know kind of all in on a player. So uh, Hunt was, uh, you know, he's not he's not a perfect prospect. And he was from a uh, obviously not a power five school, anything like that, but pretty talented player, pretty fun tape. And uh, he's sort of built for a big workload. And I, I think he is the eventual lead back there. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about him. And I, he goes close to close to 40 in the uh, e- even in MFL. Right. So like mm-hmm. he's available yeah. really late. Um, I don't. I don't feel like people have totally adjusted to um, the reality of Terrence West. <laughs> like I get. I get a lot of Terrence West, and it, but some of that is also that I, I'm. I'm not one of the Kenneth Dixon people, right? Like he was fine. I I didn't think last year that Kenneth Dixon was so obviously better than Terrence West. That oh my god, how do the coaches not see this? He's a superstar. Like I'm. I've never been there on Kenneth Dixon. Like Kenneth Dixon is a really good runner. Um, I don't. I don't think he's a massively talented runner. I, I, I you know, and and I, I don't think he's that much better than West is the thing. So I was already getting a lot of West because West, like it or not, is going to be a like a lead early down back. He was already going to be that early in the season. Now, with the Dixon injury, um, it's West and Danny Woodhead, and they're perfectly complementary players. Um, neither one is going to seriously interfere with the other. They have sort of the role that we'd expected for them. Um, so anyway, I get a lot of Terrence West. I think there's a, a path to a pretty, you, you know, like a like a sneaky good 950,000-yard season there. So I, I get plenty of him as well.
0: Yeah, West uh, was going pick 120 in MFL 10s. That's obviously going to rise now with Dixon because Dixon was actually going before him. Mean, won pick 117. I took him. Yeah, so I- that was crazy. Like, yeah. and I, okay. I kind of get it. Like
1: it's the end of the season that matters more than the start of the season. But but, but Dixon was already going to miss games. I mean, that just, it floors me. Um, I, I, I don't know what kind of jump in value we were expecting from Kenneth Dixon. He's good. Um, he just didn't scream superstar to me, and i i didn't I didn't see that much separation between between him and West last year.
0: I think it was I think it was the John Harbaugh comments about him being a complete back and one of the best player. You know, could be turned into one of the best running backs in the league. I think that was what started that. And then you have the, the was it the three game suspension was it or maybe it was yeah. four. Um, so he was. Uh, I mean, I think if not for the suspension, he probably would be going uh, would have been going in the. Fifties, not fifties, sixties, seventies, probably. Um, if he were named the starter or it looked like he was going to start, but you know, with the suspension, they they basically said that West was going to start. And what are you going to do about it? <laughs> He's yeah, going. Yeah. And he he finished. West finished in the top twenty-five last year. Uh, I don't think his workload is going to change much. He he might have fewer receptions when he was actually pretty good in the passing game. Uh, and more carries because now you have Woodhead, uh, you know, catching probably 70 plus passes there. Um, I I guess I'm a little worried about his goal line role. If they're going to decide they're going to bring in Woodhead for that, because he's kind of a crafty, sneaky player to have in there inside the five. Um, but you know, West, I think had, uh, he only had a handful of touchdowns last year as well. It wasn't like he made his bones on, on double digit touchdowns or anything like that. And I took him in the eighth round after the news broke about, uh, Kenneth Dixon. And I posted a poll on my Twitter feed. Uh, you know, was this, was this good value? Was this uh, about right? Was this, you know, too early? And um, most people seem to think that the eighth round was about right. And there's a little bit of a bias towards uh, it. He should have gone later. So I think his ADP is going to rise maybe late eighth, uh, ninth round. He's still going to be able to get a pretty good value uh, on him.
1: Can I, can I ask where you, and I realize it's your role to ask questions
0: here, not mine but where where are you at on time montgomery uh you should you should really listen to uh last the last pod that I just posted with joe holka he he does the rushing expectation, and uh he came out really strong on on Montgomery in terms of his uh ability to generate yards I, my concern with him is his durability, but he's been adding muscle. Uh, getting prepared to be the running back. I mean, last year he was just sort of thrown into that role because of what happened uh, with Eddie Lacey. Um, so uh, I'm actually pretty bullish on him now. Uh, I think given who they drafted, they, they got a couple guys, Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. I think I like Jones actually more than Williams, but um, it looks to me like it's Montgomery's backfield. Now he doesn't need to get um, 15 to 20 carries to be uh, productive. If he's, you know, generating 4.85 yards per carry which he can and given the, the danger of the passing game uh for the for the Packers and then he's also able to catch passes on the backfield the question for him is not only durability but you know is he going to be on the field on third down or are they going to turn back to Aaron Murkowski as the as the passing down back and he's gonna, right t- you know turning into his Coon stuff what do you think about what do you think about I,
1: yeah I so I bring him up because he and I again I I, I hate to he's not a sleeper necessarily in the same way that obviously Crowell Gillisley for your audience, these guys are not sleepers in any way. Um, My concerns about him. Number one is where the, where the ADP is gone. I'm looking at MFL right now and he's a top 45 player at MFL. Mm -hmm. So right there, there's a, there's an expectant price, right? Like you're drafting a guy in round four, round five. um, You know, you're, you're, you're paying for a heck of a season. He – I get it last year, um, and I, I get his situation, obviously. Anytime that he's taken a handoff, um, the defense is is singularly focused on Aaron Rodgers and all the things that Aaron Rodgers can do. You are worried primarily about the weapons that they have in the passing game. I get it. Um, he's going to face a lot of uh, – presumably is going to see a lot of nickel and dime. That's great for a running back. Um, he had one game last year with 10 carries, right? So I, I worry about the the volume of carries, period, that they intend to give him. Um, I always worry about, for almost any Packers running back, I, wor- I worry about what they actually intend to give him near the goal line. Um, and then he, he did, <laughs> like, again, I hate to be the Bears fan who is so down on the Bears. He, he had <laughs> almost half of his rushing yards against the Chicago Bears last year. Like, so I don't... I don't like to just take his, you know, his uh, there's a lot of great data is collected by the people who do such things. Right. Like, I feel like a lot of the elusiveness that he gets credit for was against a, a, a very poor tackling Bears defense on a, <laughs> on a couple of their worst days. Um, like because we also saw Christian Michael come into the that same late season game against the bears and he broke off like a 50 yard touchdown run or something uh-huh. like that. like yeah. everybody was racing through that defense um particularly that day and so i want to you know i want to give montgomery credit but i also want to put the numbers in context and say boy he lit up some he lit up a bad team um in a couple of big ways i think i think he's good i, I don't think he's a guy who's gonna have many games where he is carrying the ball more than 13 times um, so I I for me the the volume is just not going to be there to justify him as a as a top 20 running back um, although I will admit the the you know from running back 15 on it's you know it's it's kind of a minefield <laughs> yeah so it's I, like I, I get it if you're all in on him it's a great offense to attach yourself to um,
0: I, I still I'm still not Really buying him as a high volume runner. I just love that you are down a little bit down on Ty Montgomery because he tore up the the Bears last year. Not not because you're mad at him for tearing up the Bears. You just I legitimately uh, don't give him full credit for that. You're yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he averaged uh, six point seven yards per carry in the first game against Chicago. Nine carries for sixty yards. He also had ten catches for sixty six yards in that game. And then in the in the second meeting, that was his. <laughs> Uh, His 16 carry, 162 yard uh, game against the Bears, two touchdowns, easily his best fantasy game of the year. I would just add that I I I now want to pull out the Bears uh, splits and just to see what he because he did average 5.9 yards per carry, but you do I do now wonder what his. Uh, splits where when you don't count the bears they are he is going to see the bears again though this year twice so right
1: right um, i mean that's a thing I <laughs> it's, it's not like they're not on the schedule i get it the, uh
0: in, in the post you mentioned that he only uh, carried uh 10 times once uh he did carry 11 in back-to-back games in the postseason he didn't do particularly well against the giants who had a pretty good uh defense um but he you know 11 for 11 for 47 against the the um the Cowboys with two touchdowns and he also had six catches for 34 yards in that game. And then he got dinged up against Atlanta, which sort of underscores the um, durability uh, issue that that may exist. But I think uh, an offseason of training to be a running back is, is going to help him quite a bit. And um, I'm still, I still like him in the fourth. Oh so, yeah, I agree with that there's a
1: there's a lot of developmental upside there, right? Yeah. Because he's it's not his original position, it's not the position he was drafted to play. I, I get that. The other caveat I would throw in there is that in man, I mean, I have a I have a lifetime of making this mistake in fantasy analysis, right? It's like the what would we call it? Like the Jarius Norwood problem. I think, um, we need to be really careful when a, when a guy carries the ball like 70 times for five plus yards per carry. Yeah, We need to be really cautious about extrapolating that. to. So of course he can do that over 280 carries or 250 <laughs> carries, right? It's not that, it's not that simple.
0: Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the receiver position. Uh, I'd like you to touch on, uh, Cameron Meredith, since you're there in Chicago and probably have watched uh, more snaps than, um, anyone listening and the other the other thing I'd like to like or than anyone should right yeah and you, I would also like you to comment maybe I'm uh, Kenny Britt you had a great quote in your Browns write up uh, Britt is the rare receiver who improves his quarterback situation by joining the Browns I thought that was <laughs> I spit up my coffee as I as I uh, read that one so if you could at least touch on those two players anybody else you're interested at the receiver position I mean I
1: I Britt's interesting because I I just thought he was a, a stone cold hero last year, and we're going to forget um, the season that Kenny Britt had in impossible circumstances last year, right? Mm-hmm. A thousand yards with those with those quarterbacks, a thousand yards with uh, w- with Jared Goff and company um, was unbelievable. Um, you know, there'd be like one huge play each week, and Kenny Britt is another guy who should get full credit for. Um, you know, early in his career, if it wasn't injuries, it was off field stuff, right? Oh my God, is Kenny Britt going to get suspended? Um, you just, you couldn't go like a month without some bad roto world note about, um, Kenny Britt either off the field or it was a hamstring or it was, you know, there's always some bad Kenny Britt note. And he, I, I mean, I don't know him, I don't know what's going on off the field in his life, but, all that seems to have been absent for quite a while. Um, And he seems like a, you know, he's, he's no longer to me, such a high variance player. Now, I don't know that he's going to repeat his thousand yard season. There is a clear path for Kenny Britt to get a hundred plus targets again. And and I think that's going to result in a pretty good year. And young Kenny Britt was really good. Like pre-injury Kenny Britt, um, when he was just a pup was unbelievable. Um, That I think we have to go back to like, was it two, 2011, when he when he suffered the the knee injury, um, he was 100 yards a game to start that year and was looking like you know the classic sort of I think he was a third year receiver at the time and he was blowing up and then the the injury just derailed things for him. Um, but he you know he was a big talent back in the day, um, right size you know six three six four something like that. Just a you know and he's now become like a totally bankable big receiver. Um, I'm kind of sort of interested in the Browns this year. I think that offensive line is going to be really good. It looks like probably a top 10 offensive line in the NFL right now. Um, that's going to help a lot. Um, I, I don't know that Cody Kessler is is necessarily a thing, but I, I think between him and Kaiser, they're going to find a quarterback who is at least competent and has a little bit of time to throw and they're going to have a great running game. And yeah, I'm, you know, you don't want to draft Kenny Britt as like your wide receiver two necessarily, but um, as somebody who you are spot starting and somebody who can be a wide receiver three in a deep league, um, I think he's a really good player. I, I also, you, you know, you mentioned Cameron Meredith, it's, it's funny. Like, so first of all, great athlete. And, um, you know, all of his pro day numbers were really good and he's a guy who wasn't like necessarily a classically trained receiver. Right. So he's one of those developmental guys like Montgomery a little bit, still learning some aspects of the position. Um, he, he's a guy who's like pro day numbers and the athleticism is just immediately apparent. Um, when you, when you watch him, either in the stadium or like on screen, like he's, he's, kind of a live wire. I, I get it. Um, on the other side, we have, we have Kevin White who had crazy combine numbers, right? Like a great 40 time. And it, you just never see it at it translated as game speed. Um, so I'm pretty skeptical on Kevin White, just based on what little we've seen of him so far in the NFL and his obviously a pretty deep injury history for a young player. Um, Meredith looks like a confident player who's who's pretty clearly the um I, I i think going to emerge as the sort of alpha receiver for the bears they have all these sketchy veterans you know you know the names uh mm-hmm. wheaton and Wright and cruz and uh, <laughs> they have, every once in a while I, re- I remember that they have reuben randall i think technically on the roster is that's amazing to me that combination of four sort of you know discard pile receivers is incredible to me um i, I think i think meredith is a like Plus athleticism, great leaper, great size. Um, the Bears are going to have to throw the ball, right? They they were a weird team last year because they seemed almost um, singularly focused on piling up yards for. Like Jordan Howard ran the ball last year in some situations where you would just normally see teams go to the air and abandon the run, and they stuck to it um, in games that were lost. And it was fun if you were a Jordan Howard owner. Um, but I, I mean, I imagine they're going to, they're going to try to win some games this year and they're going to, there's going to be plenty of garbage time opportunities for them. There's going to be a lot of, you know, the ball's going to be in the air plenty. And I think Cameron Meredith is the, is the one guy that I'm relatively confident owning from that, from that bears receiving core.
0: I was just looking at ADP. He's going with pick 86. Uh, so early eighth round, and then uh the two players going after him. I I also like uh John Brown uh and Tyrell Williams. Uh so it looks like the eighth round is is kinda of turning into a good spot to get a Maybe a wide receiver three or a wide receiver. You know, Williams four. is a
1: is just a great name to throw out as a uh, I mean, he shouldn't be a sleeper, right? He kind of he broke out last season, really. But um, just, I mean, that, that's kind of for, for a guy who put up numbers last year, always passed the eye test. Um, to, for for us to just assume that he's going to slip outside the top thirty five receivers, that would be a, that would be a bit of a surprise to me. I mean, we've I feel like we've kind of priced Keenan Allen as if he's going to be just fine, no worries. Um, and, and, given, uh, you know, and it's as if Tyrell Williams is going to take a huge hit. I'm not sure that's the case.
0: Yeah. And I think the Mike Williams uh, draft pick really kind of submarined uh, Tyrell Williams, um, right. his ADP. And then on top of it, you have, you're, you're assuming that Allen stays healthy. Which he hasn't been able. He's played nine games. Over Which
1: last. is a crazy
0: assumption. Yeah. I mean, he's it, like not only
1: that he's going to be healthy, but even if he is healthy, that he's going to be one hundred percent recovered. No worries um, off of a pretty
0: significant injury. And then, of course, he's played like nine games over the last two years. And you're, you're sort of assuming that Allen gets the same sort of workload that he got when he was healthy, even though Tyrell Williams hadn't broken out yet or wasn't available at that point. So, you know, now that he has broken out, is this maybe more of a one A? 1B type of a situation, that's a, yeah. a, a scenario that could happen as well. Britt uh, is looking at his ADP, 110, pick 110, so um, going very late. And he's going to go even later in uh, friends and family type leagues because of uh, the number of people he's burned over the years <laughs> um, and the fact that he's going to play for the, the Browns. But you know, he's going after Corey Coleman. He's going after Corey Davis and Eric Decker, uh, that whole Tennessee uh, situation. So Britt seems... Uh, like a very very good value as well at that point. Uh, 49th receiver off the board. So, um, what's we'll, we'll <laughs> like
1: how many how many total passing yards did um, I'm going to look it up right now? Like that, I mean the the Rams could not have generated that many passing yards uh, for the for the full season, right? And uh, and Kenny Britt ended up with one thousand and two of them. I'm just looking at team passing offense. The Rams were thirty first with. 2,951 yards, right? And Kenny Britt had 1,002. Just uh, just a, an absolute American hero for, for doing that. Like, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Those guys were so bad, um, and he cobbled together a quality season.
0: Well, it's amazing because you look at his targets, 111, 68 catches for 1,002 yards and five touchdowns. Then you look at uh, Tavon Austin, um, 106 targets, so almost as many targets, 10 oh, field receptions, man. 58 um, uh, 509 yards. So his, uh, yards per catch is just about, just about, uh, 60% of what, uh, Kenny Brits was. And then three touchdowns. So it's just the inefficiency there from a short, um, uh, Tavon Austin, 54.7% catch. I'm just going off on a tangent right now with Tavon Austin's inefficiency. Uh, so oh, a, t- okay. a total catch and fall guy though. Um,
1: but I mean, what, what could you do? I mean, the, the, the amount of just square footage that you had to defend against the Rams last year was, was so small. Um, I don't, I, I hardly
0: even blame Austin for that. Uh, so to wrap up, I, we're, we're both, I don't know, regular listeners or regular people on Twitter that follow us both know that we don't like PPR and, uh, <laughs> I've been a proponent of point per first down, which I was really excited that, uh, Scott fish implemented that into his, uh, Scott fish bowl. Um, so, Instead of talking about why PPR is bad, because, you know, people can find your writings on that, let's, let me ask you if you had to set up your own league and let's say it's an auction instead of, uh, I know you like auctions over, uh, snake draft, but how would you set up the, the scoring and how would you set up, uh, positional requirements?
1: Oh, that's a, so that's a fun question. Um, I like, uh, so first of all, I like first down scoring mostly as as just a simple way to wean people off of PPR. Like my my uh, my PPR issue is really that it's a it's a nothing play that should never have um, the equivalent value. You know, just catching a ball for no gain obviously should not have the same fantasy value as a ten yard run or ten yards of anything. first downs are in all cases, meaningful events. Um, so I, I mean, I just sort of generally like scoring for events that matter in real life. I want some reflection of what wins in real life to show up in my fantasy game. Um, I, I think by far the, the biggest, we, and I, you've written about this a fair amount. I, I think the thing that we screwed up from the start in fantasy scoring is not to do enough to separate the great quarterbacks from the standard issue quarterbacks, and then from the bad quarterbacks. Right? Like we, uh-huh. we don't do very much at all to penalize negative plays. Whether it's you know whether it's sacks or more importantly turnovers. Um, you know, I've I've played in leagues where there's no negative value for interceptions, even in standard scoring formats. It's usually it's usually like a minus one for an interception. And that's a, that's a play that changes the trajectory of games. Like, that, you know, if you throw an interception a game, you're terrible. That, like, that's terrible. <laughs> um, an interception and a half a game is unforgivable, and you're not going to last very long. Um, you know, like uh, it's the Bortles year a couple of years ago. He literally has the 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 triple crown of bad for quarterbacks. It's he leads the he leads the league in fumbles, interceptions, and sacks, and he's like a top five fantasy quarterback. I mean, right. what, that shouldn't happen. Um, our scoring needs to be needs to be better. I, I, like I feel like our scoring needs to absolutely punish turnovers that are the responsibility of the quarterback. And you can, you know, the people's argument always ends up being, well, what do you, what do you do with the end of half hail Mary that gets intercepted? I mean, look at the interception totals that are put up by Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady year after year. Like the, like interceptions aren't random. Um, and the game's best quarterbacks (laughs) like, don't throw a lot of them. They'll throw the ball 550 times and they're not piling up interceptions. So, I feel like that is the biggest mistake that we make, and I feel like ints should be in almost all cases. They should be like minus four, minus five. um, And and I, you know, I like I like giving six points for passing touchdown, and I like giving huge penalties for interceptions um, because what you end up doing. Uh, if if that's your scoring system is you create a lot of separation between guys like Rogers, um, Brady, Breeze, and then the rest of the crew. And that's, you know, in reality, it is by far the most important position, probably the most important position in all of team sports. That, like that guy should be driving scoring in a meaningful way in fantasy.
0: I completely agree with the, the quarterback take, uh, you know, Bortles had 18 interceptions in 2015, 16, last year and finished in the top 10 in fantasy scoring both, uh, both years. So that is a problem, I think. And, uh, your six point for pass touchdown minus four or five for interception. I like that a lot. I would, um, you know, add, I don't like the, uh, uh, tight end premium so much, but if you, if you had, let's say you had a quarterback with a, uh, a super flex as well. So you could start two quarterbacks to, to really, uh, get some quarterbacks going in the first few rounds. And then uh, at the tight end position, maybe you start two as well. Uh, and then at uh, uh, running back and wide receiver, you have a, a few that you need to start and then uh, a number of flexes so that you could kind of I mix. Sh- them I should back. have mentioned that that's a, that's another way of creating
1: sort of the tight end premium, right? Is to force yeah. your league to start two of them. And that's I, the only league that I'm in where that, where that is required is that um, Mark Stopa draft. And it's, it's hard, right? Like you're, you're constantly scrounging for, um, tight ends that might do a little something on the, on the waiver wire. It, it makes you learn the player pool at a depth that you don't normally learn it. And in, in reality, um, teams roll with two tight ends all the time. So it's not a, you know, it's, it's not, it's not as weird as starting two quarterbacks, right? <laughs> like, right. like I, I enjoy the two quarterback leagues. Um, it is a little weird cause there's obviously there's no real life situation where you've got two quarterbacks on the field. Um, two tight ends are on the field all the time. So that's just a sort of normal alignment. Um, and it mirrors the real game really well. And it just, it increases the, the depth in the league and the amount of thought that's involved in your, in your draft or auction a, a great deal. Another change that I sort of generally like, and this would be, I feel almost guilty for not, I should, I should call out Scott Pianowski here because this is a point that he makes a lot. Um, short benches and deep starting lineups are fun. Um, they force a lot of transactions. They force a lot of difficult decisions throughout the season when guys are on buy. Right. Um, it's it just makes for a, a a more entertaining and more active league uh, with many more agonizing ad drop choices.
0: Yeah, it, absolutely. If you have a short bench and you're sitting there like, Oh, what do I, Oh, I don't want to look, I don't want to cut this guy, but I need a, I need a whatever, a defense or I need another running back this week. And uh, you have to do it or you have to take the zero in your lineup and it's a, that makes things even more, more difficult than they already are. Um, so Andy, thank you so much for coming on. You're the number four, the cleanup hitter in my lineup <laughs> of uh, uh, bonus uh, episodes. Um, you can, oh, find I, I appreciate it. I, I love what you do. You're one of the very best. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, Andy Barons you can find him at Andy Barons B E H R E N S on Twitter uh, he's also, uh, writing about baseball a lot. So if you like that, uh, I, I can't find a way to filter all my baseball talk out of my timeline. So if these names are just thrown <laughs> at me. I don't even know who knows. But Selfino's really bad at it too. They're like a ton of baseball. I'm just like, oh God, the baseball. I can't wait for the season to be over. <laughs> so we can just talk about football. It's, it's so tilted toward the Mets with Selfino. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, once again, thank you, uh, Andy Barons. You can find him on Twitter. You can find him at his work at Yahoo. Uh, you know, vote for him for president of Fantasy Sports Writer Association for second term. <laughs> he deserves it. Uh, and uh, we'll see you next time on the Four for Four's Most Accurate Podcast.